Welcome to the Bullshit Blog, your number one podcast for disseminating truth from bullshit, covering public health, politics, the economy, the occult, spirituality, and everything in between. If you're fed up with the mainstream media, then keep listening. Tassi Salberg, director from the Glonsky Institute, in a recent article in the ABC on the 9th of the 3rd, 2020, suggested that the Australian school system is falling behind and used to be admired globally. While I can't agree on the latter, the former is most certainly true. Education experts from all walks of life have been speaking out about the quality of Australian education. Is it declining? Is it bias? Is there a curriculum problem? What's the issue? Tassi's argument is that equality is the answer. However, I think there's a more basic flaw inside Australian education. Have Australian schools and universities become vessels for indoctrination, as opposed to beacons of enlightenment and critical thinking like they were designed to be? On today's episode, we have invited Dr. John DeNoble, author, lecturer, and head of the Department of Education from Macquarie University, and Dr. Kevin Donnelly, author, social commentator, research fellow at the Australian Catholic University, to investigate whether or not these claims are accurate and true. And if so, what is the best way forward? Can you give our listeners a bit of background about yourself and your role at the university? I'm a senior research fellow at the Australian Catholic University. Uh, I started out as a classroom teacher in Melbourne. So I taught for 18 years, mainly year 11 and 12, uh, English, uh, also on the panel of examiners and the board of studies in Victoria. And a couple of years ago, I I reviewed the national curriculum. Because of all of that, I've been heavily involved in writing about curriculum, researching curriculum, both here and overseas. You can call me John, by the way, I don't mind mind that. Yeah, basically educational leadership, classroom management, and a little bit of science effort at Macquarie University. I also understand you have published a book recently. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, There was a a book recently, now two years, but... um, it's, uh, it's on classroom management, essentially. It's for positive learning environments out in all good bookstores, folks. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's just really about how you set up a, a classroom that's, um, that's good, that's effective, that the students want to learn in, that they're engaged in. Yeah, last year uh, I published what is called a politically correct dictionary, which uh, is available from my webpage. Okay, plug it. Yeah, yeah, kevindonnelly.com.au. It was a lot of fun writing that, but very serious as well, because there are over 200 words and expressions in there that especially young people like you need to know. Trouble, you know, lose your job, be flamed on on the internet, on Twitter, uh, upset people, because the times we live in now are very much about being politically correct, whether it's gender or sexuality or multiculturalism or refugees or climate change. There's always what I call a left wing or cultural left view. So if you criticise same-sex marriage, you're homophobic. If you criticise uh, multiculturalism, you're racist. And my favourite uh, in the book is what is called a TERF, T-E-R-F, which is a gender radical feminist, gender radical exclusive feminist, because oh. that's like Germaine Greer, who argues that men will always be men, whether they want to transition or not. Yeah, the politically correct dictionary and guide is selling very well. Give us a brief history on the purpose of education. Yeah, I mean, when I went to school many years ago, and for most of, uh, you know, the last 50, 80 years in Australia, but also England, uh, because we inherited a lot from England, obviously, over the years in terms of our legal system, our political system, 
but also our education system. And historically, that's been very much about uh, giving all young people a grounding in very important skills like reading, writing, you know, adding up, subtracting. So there are the basics which everybody needs to learn. Importantly for me, there's this cultural aspect of education. And traditionally, it's been about teaching all young people, whether it's mathematics or science or music or art or literature, giving them a very broad education in terms of what's called cultural literacy. So if I use an expression like he opened a Pandora's box or he met his Waterloo, you know, you need to know a bit about Greek literature or about history to understand. So historically, we inherited from England, but also Europe, this idea of a cultural view of schooling uh, based on meritocracy, competition. So obviously, uh, not everybody is suited. I mean, I've always argued we need to focus on vocational education and training as well as a more academic side. It goes, it goes why there are people in my department who are much better at this than me, by the way. But, um, it, it, I mean, education, if you look at it very broadly, um, is probably the oldest thing that human beings have been doing. When you think about, you know, back maybe thousands of years ago through to, you know, the classical Greek and Roman times where there were tutors and students, you know, they were being taught about how the world worked and, and about morality and all those sort of things. Right through to, uh, I don't want to call it the Age of Enlightenment, but the, the period after the Dark Ages when people were very involved in the idea of discovery after a few hundred years of nothing much going on, apparently, hundreds onwards, 1300s onwards, you had this greater... Um, period of discovery and a lot of it was in line with religion as well. Um, there were people very interested to sort of um, work out the divine, what's right. the meaning of life and all that, all the, all the things that sort of people like Socrates years and years before had been contemplating, people were contemplating again. Um, people in the Christian world and in the Muslim world were starting to delve into the meaning of scriptures and how this relates to life and these kinds of studies started to originate your first universities, people who were um, trying to sort of delve right into those big questions about why we are here, what is the meaning, what does God, what is the meaning of life, the meaning of life, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, you, you had your religious sort of growth of knowledge and then you had your scientific growth of knowledge following closer. So, Doctor, a lot of people have been questioning the quality of Australian education. Is there a problem in our schools and universities in regards to syllabus? Or is there a problem with our actual teachers? Something is going wrong, though, and not sure what it is. The, the government um, bodies have been trying to fix things with new policies, uh, great gifted, great, great teaching, inspired learning, all these very well-intentioned policies, and some of them have worked really well in terms of teacher quality and, and raising the quality of teaching. But there are a couple of things about those comparison tests which might be troubling. For example, the, um, the tests don't necessarily align to the Australian curriculum. Right. So students sitting the test in year nine or wherever, whatever it is, um, will hit questions they may not have had exposure to. Right. So that's, that's one thing um, that, that might be creating a problem. The consistency of the test across iterations might be another thing. But I, I look, I do, I do see the results, and I do, uh, it's hard to refute right. uh, when people like Parthi Salzberg and 
and what's going on, say that we've been in decline and we need to do something. Yeah. The government response has been to try and fix the education system. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that fixing the education system is the issue. The biggest move for the last couple of years, and it's getting worse, is to get rid of year level standards, have a clear, definite idea of what should be achieved. So you might grade that A, B, C, D, E, or you might say it's 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 10. Right. They're now moving towards what they call formative diagnostic assessment, where to use their jargon, it's all about individual growth. So it doesn't matter if a student gets to year 10 and can't read or write and write an essay to do year 11 and 12, if their personal growth has improved, if they've done better according to where they were at the beginning, that's enough. It's a bit like in sport saying you've got a 100-metre sprint. The one who gets the prize is the one who comes last, whereas it should be there's first, second, third. But if yeah. you've got this personal growth developmental model, you yeah. get rid of any objective criteria or standard. Is As we know, once you leave school, you get into work or university, you hit a brick wall. We also had Dr. John DeNova from Macquarie University's Education Department on the program, and we asked him the exact same question we asked you. And when we asked him about what would you like to be, what would you like to see fixed within the state or federal education system, his answer was he'd like a lot more teaching time. Is this a common problem or issue that you hear among teachers? Yeah, I've written about this over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, in terms of our curriculum model, 20, 30 years ago was very much influenced by what's called outcomes-based education, which was imported from America, uh, a guy called William Spady. So we moved away from the more traditional syllabus approach, which is what they tend to have in Asian countries. A syllabus, it's succinct, teacher-friendly. It's about what Jerome Bruner calls the structure of the discipline. So it's about essential content, knowledge, skills. A syllabus approach is year level. It's about uh, teachers teaching. And there's, there's a body of knowledge and skills students have to master before they move on. We mm. got rid of that and adopted this outcomes-based approach, which is all about negotiated collaborative goal setting, get rid of year levels, get rid of year level standards. It's all about formative assessment, diagnostic assessment instead of summative. That's well and good. But the problem is it's drowned our teachers in paperwork, in checklists, in being like uh, grocers having to weigh everything. They have to individualise all of this, apparently. So if you've got a class of 25, you have to individualise all of that for every student monitor, evaluate, record it, it's impossible. What we're doing is actually making it almost impossible for teachers to be effective. Little things that they make you do, like sitting down and having to do um, reading tests and running records with each individual student, um, where they weren't necessary in many cases, where many students didn't need those things, but it was a policy and so you had to do it. Things like that that take you away from the active face-to-face teaching, the amount of paperwork that teachers have and the amount of preparation and accountability has, as anecdotally from, from what people say to me, really increased in the last, say, decade.
decade and a half. And that could, that actually could be a reason why. I was astonished by what we have just learnt today. Both sides of the political argument, whether it was the left or the right, seemed to be agreeing with each other that there is an issue with education, which is no small feat. Normally they can't agree on anything. However, the argument has been shifted to what is the problem with Australian education, and there seems to be an endless amount of petty arguments about what is the problem, as opposed to coming up with a solution to fix Australian education. The left seems to think equality and identity is a magical silver bullet that fixes any social injustice, while the right is trying to bring back meritocracy. What if the both wrong? An education system just needs a massive update and needs to become more relevant to modern day society. This intrigued me somewhat, and I thought we need to ask a few more questions. Rebecca Carmody of the ABC also reported on the 28th of February that homeschooling is on the rise in Australia. Why do you believe that is the case? I've spoken to a number of schools and communities in, in New South Wales and Queensland in particular where homeschooling is on the rise, not as much in Victoria. But in Queensland and New South Wales, they're often uh, conservative communities, sometimes evangelical or Christian. They are very concerned about the political indoctrination so they don't like the safe schools program which is all about gender diversity and lgbtqi uh, rights they're concerned that schools are indoctrinating their children so they're worried about bullying and disruptive classrooms and the lack of discipline so the argument there is because of all of that there's been an increase in homeschooling. Could bullying be the issue as opposed to poor academic standards? I mean, bullying is a factor. As I say, there's no one issue here. There, there right. are a range of different factors that we have to look at and try and address. But I mean, part of the problem, frankly, in, in, in bullying, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I was bullied in, in, in you know, year seven. I, I ran home to my brother, my older brother, and said, help me out. He said, look after yourself. You solve it. We've got a lot of generations of young kids who are being wrapped in cotton wool, you know, who have helicopter parents, who don't know about overcoming adversity, who have never taken a risk. I mean, life is about off failing or not doing well or being frightened or being scared, but you need the strength often to overcome that. Yeah. Now, part of the problem is that we're raising generations of young people who yeah. aren't able to take that risk. I mean, mm. a silly example would be when I was young on it, we had a trampoline at school. There was no net. So if you fell off the trampoline, yeah. you sprained an ankle or a wrist and you learned not to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now all the trampolines have nets and the kids are bouncing against them. I mean, you've got to learn to sort of be resilient, to, to sort of get on with it. I have no idea. And I had no idea that it was on the rise. Go through something of a rise in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed to sort of come down. Not sure whether it's got to do with, you know, people's lack of faith in the education system. Not sure whether it's got to do with ideological things. You know, maybe there's an ideological position in the family and they feel that schools don't cater to that. Right. And, and nor do the private schools that are faith-based or whatever. You know, no, this doesn't, this doesn't cater for us, therefore we're going to do it ourselves. But I don't, so I'll, I'll say again, I really didn't know that uh, that was on the rise, and I have no ability to commentate on that. They say, uh, well, they bought speculation that, I, I don't know how true this is, but do you believe bullying could be the issue as opposed to poor academic standards and why some of these families are choosing to withdraw their kids? Yeah, bullying, bullying is, um, is something that every school has to face, and it's, it's across the board. And I'm not condoning it, but it is something that's to do with age 
and stage and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and, and there's psychological reasons why it happens. What we have to do is actually denormalise bullying. And, and there's a lot of work being done, including with um, um, the Mind Matters and, and, and the government's programs, to denormalise bullying and give people who are like bystanders the power to do something about it. Because they, they have been the most powerful but silent um, uh, actors in the whole bullying scene. The victim may not do something about it, because of their power situation in regard to the bully. The bully, you know, of course, won't want to report their own bullying. Bystanders and people who are around and watching and observing it have a, have a great deal to do with that. Yeah, it could, I mean, it could be that these parents are thinking of school bullying um, as, as, a, as an issue, um, but it is, it is an issue in schools that schools are grappling with and doing everything and throwing a lot of effort into if you had your magic wand and you could fix anything within the federal or state education system, what would it be? I would want more support in my classroom so that I could actually teach more. Right. Um, honest, honest to goodness, one of the things that was really irritating me in my last years in the classroom was the amount of accountability, paperwork that I had to do. Um, so if there's people helping you with that or helping you with the, with the teaching in the classroom, that you can do a little bit, bit of that um, in the afternoons, whatever, then that would be an awesome thing. A lot of teachers might agree and say, oh, yeah, if I had some help, <laughs> or yeah. some help with the paperwork, some help with that accountability stuff, yeah. um, like an assistant that's able to do things, even an assistant that's able to take anecdotal notes of a student that's being targeted for a particular intervention or whatever, yeah. that's a big help. Yeah, absolutely. So, testing and things like that, that's a big help. And, and you know, the biggest constraint, I think, on teachers that I'm hearing from them is their ability to get in there and actually spend hours teaching. I mean, terrible irony is uh, when I did the Masters and the Doctorate at La Trobe University, there yeah. were people there, Doug White, Bill Hannon uh, was a friend, uh, Dave McRae, in the VSTA, the teacher union, which okay. I was a member of. They argued that what they called a democratic curriculum. Right. I mean, I, I've always argued that, that, that education should be open to all. That doesn't mean it's the same for everyone all the way through. When, when I grew up in Broadmeadows, we had Broadie Technical School, Broadmeadows High School. Some people went on to TAFE colleges. Some went to university. Some did an apprenticeship, uh, got in, into the trades, you know. So education at some stage has to realise that we all have different abilities and interests. Yeah. But there should be a ground a ground work there in terms of giving everyone an understanding of what I call cultural literacy mm -hmm. and the ability to think clearly, rationally. And also what the Blackburn, Blackburn Report in Victoria called our best validated knowledge and artistic achievements. So I'd say in primary, lower secondary, middle secondary, there should be a common curriculum for everyone and it should be grounded in, in what's essential and important to be educated in its fullest sense. The terrible irony is that a lot of progressive left-wing academics and teachers said, oh, working class kids can't learn any of that. They're not up to it. Yeah. They can't cope. That's all about capitalist society reinforcing privilege because it's elitist and meritocracy and academic. 
So I remember teaching out in Melbourne in, in the western suburbs where I was told you can't teach Shakespeare to these working class migrant kids. You've got to do puberty blues or magazines. Yeah, you know what brilliant. I mean? And I, could, I cracked it because I was the English coordinator. And I said, well, that's totally <laughs> wrong. You know, we're gonna, and in fact, we did Greek tragedy, Medip, Euripides, Medea, Shakespeare, yeah. Romeo and Juliet. And the kids loved it because yeah. it opened up a whole new world. So the irony here is that often the left are actually undervaluing working class migrant kids and selling yeah. them short. Since we asked it of state public schools, do you believe independent, private or Catholic schools are biased? I mean, every every education, every school, whether it's independent, Catholic or, or state, mm. has a particular bent. Right. I, I won't say it's a bias all the time, uh, but, but every school has a particular climate, a particular way of approaching the classroom and educating young people. Some are more extreme than others. Yeah. Uh, I, I would hope that uh, good schools, good schools, whether they're independent, Catholic or state, don't get sucked into teaching superficial stuff or politically correct stuff just because the pressure's on. Mm. Good schools should actually remain true to the task, which is educating young people and giving them a, a well-rounded, rich uh, and, and uh, challenging, but also rewarding educational experience. Do you believe there needs to be a policy where teachers and lecturers and Board of Education members must declare political party membership if they hold any, considering the impact their personal beliefs and views have on young minds and the education system? Um, oh, it's, it's an idea, but I, I think it encroaches a little bit on personal liberties and all that. I would be very, very um, hesitant. Uh, first of all, because I don't have any particular political leading, but I just very hesitant to think of those things for my own and have, a, have to make a declaration. A lot of people will actually call themselves, say, oh, strong liberals or whatever. Yeah. But then when you talk to them, they actually have a lot of progressive ideas. They happen to like the party or a long-term, their parents like the party, so they say, no. So it's, it's not as clear-cut as that. So when you're making declarations, you can actually be selling yourself short. Yeah, sure. But I think it's more in terms of the actual party membership, like you say. Yes, I know oh, job, party membership, yes, 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 of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some job professions, you do actually have to say, yes, I'm a member of you know, the Labor Party or the Greens or the Liberals yeah. or whatever party that may be. I do think it's just as simple as, like, you don't have to declare, like, what political ideology you might follow, but if there is party membership, you, you have to announce it. I don't think, I don't think that would be right. I don't think that would be, I don't think there are certain, certain privacies. Yeah. And I think belonging to a political party is really your private thing. It's up to you, even though it's a public thing. Sure. And you'll go to meetings and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that should be something that people would have to declare. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go that far. But what I would say is that anybody in the School of Education or in the bureaucracy, three or four years, should be made to go and teach in a school. If they actually went into a school, had a class, frankly, the rubbish that they're responsible for, be a wake-up call. So yeah. I probably would be wouldn't looking at their political affiliation, but I would say they would have to, every three or four years, go back into the classroom. If parents or anyone who's interested wants to read any more material or you can recommend anything to them to do some further reading in terms of 
educational bias or in terms of their national curriculum, where can they go to get that information? I think the ATARA website, because as soon as you go into it, you're looking at Australian curriculum, you've got the subject, the key learning area choices, and people can delve into that. And the reason why I like this is because I just happen to have it open in front of me, just for convenience. <laughs> um, you can actually drill down. So you can look at, say, the history curriculum, and then you can look at the stages, and you can look at year three, year four, year five. And at the end, at the start of every year, there's a description of what year three typically learn about, yep. what year four. So, and it's all in plain English. It's not in any educational jargon. Right. And if they want to drill down further, there's the knowledge and understandings and all that kind of thing. There's achievement standards. The parents can then even drill down further, and it's easy to navigate. Um, so that's one. Uh, one I mean, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm telling parents to go straight to the horse's mouth and go to the Australian curriculum site. And one of them is that's the way through. So you just all, all you do is Google Australian curriculum. Yeah. Uh, but it's AustralianCurriculum.edu.au. I gave it a plug already, but if, if people want more information, my webpage, one word, kevindonnelly.com.au, there's a series of interviews there uh, and uh, transcripts and interviews. But more importantly, there are three or four books. And some of the books like uh, How Political Correctness is Destroying Education there's actually 40 or 50 articles there that I've written okay. about what we've been talking about. So if people want a better idea of where I'm coming from and where I think we should be going, then the best way is to go on the webpage. And Dr. once again, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man and I really appreciate you uh, actually going over the 20 minutes I originally said because you got so involved there. But once again, thank you so much for your time and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here on the podcast today. Thank you, Adam. My pleasure and thanks very much. Indeed, the problems with Australian education seem to be multifaceted. There seems to be a curriculum problem, a teacher problem, a bureaucracy problem, an equality problem, and perhaps maybe a little bit of a political indoctrination problem. It's clear with this many issues, there's a systematic problem with the Department of Education and the whole department may need a flushing out. However, what do we do after that enema? I personally think we need to do a model comparison of the Australian education system against countries like Finland, Estonia, Japan, and Korea. Why these countries, despite their population sizes or geographical land availability, continuously top the world in education rankings? There must be a reason. I also think Kevin Donnelly has a point. Perhaps we should also be looking at our academic standards and comparing them against other countries like Canada, who has a school system where 56% of their adults continue their education past high school. I also agree with John DeNoble. Are our teachers overworked for all the wrong reasons? Do we need to end this charade of paper bureaucracy to please state government departments? All I know is this. If we can't fix our government departments, then perhaps we need more choice in schooling. For far too long, public education has held the monopoly for free education in Australia. 
Is there a call to give subsidies to parents who decide to homeschool? Or should we make private schooling more affordable with a voucher system? There are endless amounts of debates to be had on this particular topic, yet no government platform are entertaining these ideas. And why aren't they? So, thank you for joining us on The Bullshit Blog. I'm your host, Adam Spins, and remember to join us on the same bullshit time on the same bullshit platform for your next episode of The Bullshit Blog. Welcome to The Bullshit Blog. Your number one podcast for disseminating truth from bullshit. Covering public health, politics, the economy, the occult, spirituality, and everything in between. If you're fed up with the mainstream media, then keep listening.